I love that song so much. I don't know how many of you are familiar with, uh, I know you're familiar with it because we sing it as a church, but uh, Mercy Me is the group that sings that. And I love singing that song. I like to sing it in the car. And I think the guy's name is Bart. I can't remember his last name, but the lead singer, Mercy Me, his voice is just like through the roof. And, and I don't sing an octave lower or anything. I just belt it right on the key. He's singing it right up there. I do the same thing with Joe. I was standing right behind Jessica. I'm sure she enjoyed it. Uh, I love that song so much. How important is it to you right now, with everything that's going on in our world, to know that for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, that the one who lives in our hearts is greater than any of this garbage that's going on in the world? I mean, how important is that? Folks, to me, that's, that's the most important thing. It's the most important thing that we can know, that we can live in the light of, is that no matter what happens around us, that Jesus Christ is greater. And I want you to think about that this morning as we look at the book of 1 Samuel. I want you to understand and know and see from the scripture that we look at this morning that Jesus Christ is the King. Now, the weeks seem to be going by in a flash, at least in my world. I don't know what it's going like for you guys, but um, this is week nine already of our series, The Whole Story. We're going through the whole Bible. Now, it's too late for you guys to back out now, but nine weeks ago, you guys all thought this was a great idea, so I hope that you still do, because after this week, we've still got 57 more weeks to go. Uh, we're on week 9, we're in 1 Samuel. In Genesis, we saw God's promise to Abraham's family. In Exodus, we saw that that family had become a nation and they needed to be delivered from the land of Egypt. In Leviticus, we saw God reveal His holiness and reveal His desired standards of living for us. In Numbers, we saw Israel wandering in the wilderness because of their disbelief. In Deuteronomy, we got a reminder of everything that God had commanded them. In Joshua, we saw that they had finally entered the promised land and God gave them victory over all the nations there and gave them the land as their inheritance, as their reward with all of its blessing. But in Judges, we saw Israel fall back, didn't we? And we saw them cycle through sin and repentance and God's deliverance, and then back to sin again, over and over and over. And then last week, Pastor Tim took us through the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is so encouraging to me, and I hope that it is to you, as Tim showed us, that it is possible to be obedient in a sin-soaked culture. We don't have to give in. We don't have to look around and say, well, you know, Ten years ago, it was okay, it was possible, but now with everything that's going on, how can I possibly stand for the truth? It's possible, folks. It's possible. Naomi and Ruth did it, Boaz did it, and we can do it as well through the power of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And now we come to 1 Samuel, and Israel still wants to be like everyone else. Not just that they want to do whatever they want, but Israel wants a king. They never had a king before other than God. 
He was the ultimate ruler of the nation of Israel. Now, if you've been following along or you know a little bit about the early story of the Old Testament, you know that Moses was God's spokesperson to Israel for 40 years. But God was still the ultimate authority. And then after Moses, there was Joshua who led the people. He was the captain of the armies. He led them into battle. But again, God was ultimately in control. He was the authority. And we're going to see in 1 Samuel that Israel has gotten to the point where they're not content with that anymore. And as we look at 1 Samuel 8, I want to show you how we can relate that to the overall story of the Bible. Tim mentioned it last week. The overall story of the Bible is redemption. The overall story of the Bible is that God, to glorify Himself, chooses to redeem a people for His own. God chooses ultimately for His glory to save us to be His people. We're also going to see Christ in 1 Samuel and see our need for Him. You say, we want a king too. Maybe you don't think about it in those terms, but every person on the face of the earth, including all of us who are sitting here today in our camp chairs, and all of you who are sitting in your cars, and all of you who are watching this live stream, we all want a king. In fact, every one of us needs a king. And there are a lot of options. Our king is the one who has authority in our lives. Our king is the one that drives our decision and commands our attention. Who is your king this morning? Could be king family. Family is my number one concern. What is best for the family, what the family wants, that's what drives all of our decision making. King family. Could be king job. Well, I'd like to do a lot of things, including do things for God, but my job comes first. That's the most important. It could be king finances. By the way, king finances can be a lot of money or a little bit of money. doesn't matter how much. It can still drive our decision-making and command all of our attention. Or it could be king addiction. It could be something in your life that everything else that you do revolves around because it is so powerful and it commands all of your attention. Here's what I want us to be mindful of this morning, folks, that serving any king but God will result in bondage and loss and pain. Any king but God. Now, when we go to 1 Samuel 8, at this point, Samuel has been a prophet for many years in the nation of Israel. He's been a godly man God has greatly used him. If you read the first seven chapters of 1 Samuel, you will see that very clearly. But now we get to chapter 8, and Samuel is advanced in years. I want you to follow. I'm going to read through these verses. Samuel 8, 1, 1 Samuel 8.1 says, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel. The name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Samuel was godly. Unfortunately, his sons were not. Now, I don't know if you've ever read those verses before, 
But you may have wondered, even as I was reading them, if Samuel's sons were not godly, why did he make them judges? Why did he give them authority? I've asked that question, wondered it, so I did a little digging just to help us understand the passage a little bit. But it says they were judges in Beersheba. Now, if we look back at Israel in this time, in Israel's history, Beersheba was on the very edge of the Israelite territory. It was a remote outpost. It would be like saying they were judges in Buckfield. I picked on Buckfield a few months ago and I heard about it, so I decided to just pick on him again. Okay, Otisfield. I don't know if that's any better. Somewhere in a remote outpost, it was a temporary settlement at this point, there was maybe 200 people that lived there. So yes, Samuel had given them this position, but it was not an influential one. Certainly they were far from God. Verse 4 of 1 Samuel 8. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons don't walk in our ways, or your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. We want a king like everybody else. Notice in that verse, that phrase, it's a very important phrase, like all the nations. We want to be like all the nations. We want to be like everybody else. In this culture, kings had nearly unlimited authority and power. Now, you might think of our age today and places where there are monarchies like, say, England. We have Queen Elizabeth, who was the longest reigning monarch in the thousand-plus year history of England, but she really doesn't have a lot of authority. She really doesn't have a lot of power. They have a parliament and elected officials and so on and so forth. But in these days, the king was everything. The king could do whatever he wanted. It was almost unlimited, his authority. And they were seen as the protectors and the deliverers of whatever nation that they ruled over. And you notice here it says that when they said this to Samuel... It says the thing displeased Samuel. The word displeased is very interesting here for us to understand. It doesn't mean angry. Samuel wasn't angry when the people said this. The word literally means hurt. Samuel was hurt. Why? He had spent his whole life caring for these people. He had given all of his energy, all of his time to caring for the nation of Israel, to conveying God's words to them, to making sure they knew God's truth, to making sure they understood what God desired of them as his chosen people. And they said, we want a king. And it hurt Samuel. It hurt him to have led the people and invested so much in their lives and to see them turn away. Verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. Listen to this, folks. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them. The tense here says repeatedly, repeatedly warn them, and show them the ways or the manner or the customs of a king who will reign over them. God says, 
Samuel obey them. The word obey doesn't mean to bow to them, but it really means to listen. Hear them, listen to what they're saying, and most importantly, Samuel, understand they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. God encouraged Samuel not to take the rejection personally. Why is that? Because Samuel was, we don't know exactly how old he was at this point. He was 50, 60, 70 years old. 50 years old is not old, by the way. It says he was old, so we know he wasn't 50. He was much older than that. Don't take it personally, Samuel, because this has been their pattern. Their pattern from far before Samuel. How do we know that? Well, we know that when they were in Egypt and they said, God, please get us out of Egypt. We don't want to be slaves anymore. God said, okay, I'll get you out. And he did take them out. And he worked this miracle at the Red Sea where he made the the waters of the sea stand up like a wall and they walk by on dry ground. And the mightiest army in all the world at the time, the Egyptian army, followed them across the sea. And as soon as the Israelites were out and all the Egyptians were in, what happened? The sea came crashing down over them and wiped them out. And they were free. And they said, thank you, God, for freeing us. And they walked a few days in the wilderness and they said, God, what are you doing to us? We don't have any water. And so God said, okay, here's some water. And they had water and they said, thank you, God. And they walked a few more days and they said, God, what are you doing us? We don't have any cucumbers and onions for our salads. That's true, by the way. Read it in Exodus. And God said, what are you doing? You would rather be slaves and have fresh vegetables than be free and serve me? And that continued. For hundreds of years. We just read about it a couple of weeks ago in Judges, didn't we? Samuel, don't be discouraged. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And we read those verses and we think, those foolish people, God just took them out of Egypt and they were crying because they didn't have cucumbers and onions. That's ridiculous. How could they be so stupid? After all, God had done for them. And yet, do not we do the exact same thing? Don't we do the exact same thing? We chase after the very things that God has delivered us from. You don't have to raise your hands, but I would like you to think about this in your minds. How many of you at one point in your life We're on the hamster wheel that is this world, fighting and scrapping and striving and trying to make yourself or your family happy by obtaining everything that the world has to offer or striving for the positions that the world gives us. And finally you said, I can't do it anymore. And God rescued you. He saved you. He gave you another reason to live besides all of the trinkets that the world has to offer. And you said, thank you, God. I've, I understand now that it's the life that is to come that matters. It's not this life. And then what happens a few weeks or months or years later? We find ourselves, don't we, drifting back, drifting back. What do we want? We want all those things the world has. We want all the things that God has already delivered us from. Instead of following God's word and his principles, we want everything that everyone else has. Why does it matter? 
Why does it matter? Why can't I do what I want? Why can't I work as much as I want to work? Why can't I just spend my money the way I want to spend it? Why can't I just sleep with whoever I want to sleep with? Why do I have to do what God wants me to do? Why does it matter? As long as I say He's God, why can't I do what I want to do the other six days of the week? Friends, if you cannot remember anything else that we talk about this morning, please remember this. That any rejection of God's truth and His principles is a rejection of God Himself. Any rejection of God's truth and His principles is a rejection of God Himself. My friends, this is not just a book. This is God's Word. This is God's truth to us. You cannot separate God from His Word. You cannot separate God from the truths that He gives us to live by. How do I know this? Well, I know this very certainly because when Jesus Christ is introduced to this world, what is He called? In John chapter 1, what is Jesus Christ called? Does anybody know? The Word. The Word. What is God saying to us when He calls Jesus Christ the Word? He is saying, folks, anything that comes out of His mouth is the truth. Anything that comes out of His mouth is right. Anything that comes out of His mouth is unchanging. When Jesus speaks of Himself, what does He say? He says, I am the what? Bread of life. You want to live? You live by what I say. Later in John chapter 14, in verse 6, what does Jesus say? He says, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. You cannot separate God from His principles. He saves us. He brings us out of the world. He delivers us from the patterns of sin that suck the life out of us. And yet we have this tendency to go right back in. And we chafe and we fight and we push against His truth. So Samuel tells them, he warns them, if you have a king, it's not going to be everything that you think it is. This is what's going to happen. First of all, in verse 11 of 1 Samuel 8, he tells them, it will affect your family. Verse 11 says, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots, and he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. Israel, if I give you a king like everybody else, he's going to take your family. It's going to impact your family. Tell me, folks, for those of you that are parents or grandparents, does the way that you live your life, do the decisions that you make affect the spiritual well-being and the spiritual future of your children and their decision-making? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Serve any king but God, 
it will affect your family. He goes on in verse 14. He says, it will affect your finances. Verse 14 says, this king will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. Does determining whether or not we will walk with the Lord affect our finances, affect the way that we spend our money, affect what happens in our financial health and well-being? Of course it does, absolutely. Samuel goes on to say it will affect your businesses. Verse 16, he will make your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks. You shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in this day. What is Samuel saying to Israel? What is God saying to us? He is saying that when we serve any king but God, it is going to affect every area of our lives. Nothing will be untouched. Nothing will be unaffected. So Samuel warns them, this is what's going to happen if you have a king. And what is the result? What do the Israelites say? Look at verse 19 of 1 Samuel 8. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, there shall be a king over us so that we may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Wow. There's a complete rejection of Samuel's message from God. They said, no, we don't want that. We don't want God. Give us the king. Let us be like everybody else. How could they do that? How could they possibly say that? It had only been a handful of generations since God had brought them into the promised land and fought all of those battles for them. We didn't have time to look at, of course, the whole book of Joshua. But if you look at Joshua, you'll see a series of battles, a series of times when Israel was commanded to go out and to fight against the people who were in that area of their land, the land that God had given them. And do you know what we see? Israel won every time. They were victorious every time except once. The battle of Ai. And do you know why they were not victorious? Does anybody know? Because there was disobedience to God's word. Because the people did not do what God commanded them to do. And they were soundly defeated. They repented. They took care of the sin in the camp. They made things right before God. They asked God to come back and to lead them again into the next battle. And what happened? They won the victory. So how could these people completely reject God's message and say, we don't want God going out and fighting our battles. We want a king to fight our battles. How is that possible? Let me suggest to you one reason, this may be an oversimplification, but for our purposes here this morning, I think it suits. One reason why they could do that, you know why it was? Because they forgot their history. 
They forgot their history. They didn't think about what God had done in the past. They were only thinking about what they wanted right now. You have probably heard many people say that those who are that those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. You may have even heard a lot of people say that lately. <laughs> if we ignore our history, we are doomed to repeat it in terms of our country here in the United States of America. I was watching an interview the other day from a commentator, and he said, I've been saying that to the folks in my circle, and they keep assuring me that history is not repeating itself. And he said, I've been telling them history may not be repeating itself, but it is certainly rhyming. It's getting close. It's happening all around us. Folks, do not forget your history. Do not be blind to our own rejection of the kingship of God. Do not look at your life and say, well, at least I'm not like the Israelites. I still come to church on Sunday. Don't forget your history. Let me read for you these last two verses of 1 Samuel 8. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go to every man his city. Okay, I'm not going to fight with you anymore. All right, the word obey here is the same one from earlier in the chapter. Listen to what they're saying, Samuel. Give them a king. Sometimes in our lives, folks, this is a scary place to be. Sometimes God gives us what we want. He lets us have it. You want to reject me? Okay. Go ahead. Do it. You want to forget everything I've done for you? You want to go back to the old ways? Go ahead. That's not a good place to be in your life. I hope you're not in that place right now. You see, serving any king but God will result in bondage and loss and pain. And most of us know that, don't we? On some level, we know that because we've done it. We've done it. Even as Christ followers, we've gone back in some area of our life or maybe completely. This passage of Scripture is so important for us to grasp today. There are so many applications that we can find, but let me just mention a couple for you quickly as we close. First of all, we forget our own personal history. We forget what God has delivered us from. Again, I'm not asking you to raise your hand or anything or write it down and pass it into me so I can read it. 
but just in your own mind. Think about your life before you knew Christ and think about some of the things that you were enslaved to and ask yourself if you've ever gone back to them since you've been a Christ follower. Have you? We forget our personal history and we put ourselves back into the same problems that we had before. Here's another application. When we do not serve God as our king, it affects our family, it affects our finances, it affects everything about the way that we live. We let things take precedence over God in our lives. For those of us who have families, for those of us who have children and grandchildren, we allow things to come before our service to God, before our worship of God, before placing Him as King in our lives. And as our children get older, we wonder why they don't want God to be King of their lives. Now I know that at every point in our lives, every person must make their own decisions, including our children. I understand that. But when we don't serve God as our king, it affects everything else in our lives. Friends, do not be naive that you can choose to do whatever you want to do and not expect it to affect your life. Here's a third application. We fail to distinguish ourselves from the world. That's what Israel said. We want to be like everybody else. We want to be just like the world. And we see it all around us every day. And if you're honest, you probably see it on some level in your own life. We fight against the clear truth of Scripture to justify it. It's okay if I do this. It's all right. And unfortunately, where 200 years ago, we had many different denominations in our country, many different types of churches that had their slight differences, but they all preached the truth of Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation. And now almost all of those denominations have gone far, far from God. Why is that? Because they have wanted to be like the world. We want to be inclusive. We want to open our arms. We want to just let people do whatever they want so that we can be like everyone else. We ignore the fact that God's Word tells us that we are called to be strangers and pilgrims in this world. And lastly, we try to fit God into what we want to do. We say things like, God, we love you, but we can't let you run the show. We love you. We'll come to church, but I can't let you decide everything in my life. God will not be anything less than king in your life. God is not just your buddy. He's not just an occasional advisor. He's not a silent partner in the venture that is your life. God desires to be your king. And this is the story of the Bible, that God seeks to glorify himself by redeeming, by setting apart a people for himself, a people to love, a people to lead, a people to have a relationship with. And Christ is seen 
as the rightful king of our hearts. But the overall story of the Bible is also the story of our fight against sin and temptation to go back and to not make God our king. Is he your king? Is Jesus your king? Or is it king family? Or king job? Or king finances? Or king addiction? Or king relationship? Anything less than king Jesus will not end well, my friends. We sing a song together. We're going to sing it right now if you want to stand with us. Every moment, all our days, God be praised. That's making Jesus our king. That's where I want you to be this morning as we leave here in just a couple of moments. Is he your king? Will you stand with us as we sing this song and close our service this morning? Friends, there's all kinds of reasons to make Christ your king, and it's not just to avoid all the bad stuff. As our king, he promises to give grace every day. I'm so thankful we don't receive grace just at the moment of our salvation, but grace to live every day. I need it. And mercy and strength. Some of you may be wondering, I know Melody and I have talked about it. How will we stand for the truth if the world continues to go the way that it is? There's only one answer. Power and the strength of Jesus Christ in us. There's no other way. Can we do it? No, we can't. But when Jesus is king in your life, he will give you strength and grace to do what is right. You can choose to do what's right through the grace and power of God. Is Jesus your king? Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ the one from whom we receive all of your blessings. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that every blessing pours out on us through Jesus Christ. James says that every good thing that we have comes from you. James also says that you give grace to the humble. So, Father, forgive our selfishness, forgive our pride. We humble ourselves before your throne. Father, be our king. Guide us and direct us each day. Give us strength to stand. Help us to be a light in dark places. And give us the victory that only you can as we fight, as we battle all of the things that well up in us to seek to take your place. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the privilege of worshiping together today. Now give us grace for this week. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for coming, folks. Have a great week.